Today's our annual Vision Sunday. And so we're talking about vision today. Uh, there's an interesting thing about vision in the church. And uh, vision is a function of eyes. Eyes see. That's where vision comes from. And uh, in the body of Christ, the eyes are a part of the head. And vision is also a function of the mind. You know, you're in your mind's eye, your imagination, which is also inside the head. And vision is something that's spoken. And so that when we hear vision, it, it swells within us. In Proverbs 28, we're told if there is no vision, then people are in bad shape, essentially, is what it says. They're left to their own devices. And without prophetic vision, without a clear sense of, of the Lord is guiding and leading, then it becomes a very difficult thing. Now, out of the mouth is spoken vision. In the mind, there's creative vision. Eyes, seeing vision, all of that is a function of the head. And in the church, the head is Christ. So all vision for the church comes from Christ. That's where vision for the church is. is it comes from Christ. Now, um, the majority of vision for the church is already written because Christ speaks. And when he speaks, he speaks uh, right here in the word. And so when we want to know the vision for the church, the primary way we discover what the vision for the church is, is we read the Bible. And it speaks to us very clearly about what Christ's vision is for the church. It gives us the mind of Christ. It gives us the words of Christ. It gives us what his eyes see. And as we listen to that and submit to that, then we are believing in the vision that he has portrayed for us, that he has given to us. Now, here's the thing, is that um, in order for us to actually believe the scriptures, we have to have a, a little five-letter word. What is it? faith. When the song that uh, Corey and Jen were just singing, uh, the, uh, the opening line was, let faith arise. Despite what my eyes see, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I choose to trust you. And what's happening there is that is a function of faith where we're saying, this is what you see when you look at the church, Jesus. What I see when I look at the church might be this. What I want when I look at the church might be this. What I have experienced in the church might be this, but what you see is this. And my role as a follower of yours is to believe you. When you say the church is such and such, and you envision the church, my role is to have faith. Now, a primary function of faith is a, a, a much longer word, and it starts with an I. And it's about when we see things that we don't see with our eyes, but we see with our mind's eye. Imagination. Yeah, imagination is core to faith because faith is the essence of things unseen, the presence of the things hoped for. Okay, so the assurance that this stuff that I can't see, that Jesus can see, that he says, he, he tells me this is what he sees in the Bible. I can't see it, but he tells me that's the reality. Imagination is, it's one thing to say, okay, I guess Jesus knows more than I do. It's a whole other thing to get my heart and my mind to begin to envision what those words actually mean and how that changes the way that I live based on the reality of what those words are. That's imagination. That's like the moment when my kids are up in the treehouse or out playing in the yard and they have like a game that they're playing and you don't see any of the stuff around. It's a function of imagination, but they're acting as if those things are real. 
that is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, is everyone's looking around and saying, why would you make that decision? Why would you act like that? Everything that our eyes see says that that is a completely irrational way to live in our world. Well, because I'm seeing something that's written in the Bible. And my mind is, is, is getting that. And I'm starting to envision that. And the more I'm envisioning that, the more that changes the way I live. So much so that I have what others might think is an imaginary friend who gives me everything I need and who's really loving to me and provides all I need. But this imaginary friend, by faith, I actually believe is reality. And some might say, you are absolutely delusional. And we might say, we have a really good imagination. And we need a really good imagination because you have to have faith like a child in order to enter the kingdom of God. And so often we try to check the Bible and check God's vision with what we have experienced in life. And the Bible is extremely clear that the most dangerous thing to our faith is our experiences and our brain interpreting those experiences in what we would call maturing. And yet what really happens is, is our imagination starts to get compressed and we become dependent on our own minds. Why Jesus says we need the children to, to come and to allow their imaginations to swell. And sometimes it's hard for us not to get crusty and rusty and, you know, we've got to shake the dust off and say what we believed at first. You know, there's many times, a couple times in the, in the, churches, to, the churches in Revelation where Jesus says, remember what you believed at first and hold on to it. Return to your first love. And what that is, is that that first time when we're like, oh my goodness, God, these words are the words of life. They explain everything. And I get fired up about that, and I start living my life out of the reality of what his vision is for me as a part of his church. And it's just changing everything. But then we hit that snag where that person says something to us, or we had really hoped this person was going to be healed, and we didn't see that happen. Or we, you know, saw things going this way, and then there was that massively devastating moment. And after a while, we start to, we would never say probably on the outside, we don't have faith anymore. We wouldn't say the Bible's wrong, but something in us kind of starts to like shift. Do you know what I mean? And our anticipation, our imagination gets, it gets less acute. It's not right in front of us. And it starts to dull and weaken. And in that process, we start to lose the hopefulness and the anticipation of the reality of God's kingdom all around us. But he hasn't left. And the kingdom hasn't changed. We just need a fresh vision. We just need fresh imagination for his vision. So in Vision Sunday, um, the job is not primarily um, to talk about the vision of what I see or what elders see or what I've heard people saying they see. I, that, that's not the, the primary job is first to look to the scriptures and say, what does Jesus see? What's his perspective? And then what does that look like for us right now? You know, what would it, like, let's, let's, let's go play church together and let our imaginations go wild. And the Bible's wildly true. What does that look like for us right now, you know, in our, in our setting? So that's the idea. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for uh, 
The scriptures are God-breathed and are profitable for rebuke because we realize that we believe things that we shouldn't. For correction, for instruction, for training in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped, that we may have all the tools necessary in order to walk in faith and to walk in the kingdom. So God, I just ask that for us at Parker Ford Church today, that you would take us to school with your scripture and you would instruct us, that you would take us home and you would say, no, that's not quite correct. Think about it this way. Feel this way. Begin to feel this way. Begin to imagine this way. And that, God, you would, you would help us to walk more fully in uh, your vision via our imagination. God, bless us with that. In the name of Jesus, amen. So I want to show you a picture here. Anybody know what this is? Picture number one. Hi, Jim Parker. Thanks for helping out back there. Everybody give Jim a hand. Thanks. And Dave. Thank you, Dave. Anybody know what that is? That's a compressed picture there. The picture got a little compressed. Anybody know what that is? Any mechanics in here? Boom, distributor. One of our elders nailed it. Way to go. Um, That is a distributor. It's an odd-looking distributor. Okay, but that's a distributor. You know what the distributor does? What does the distributor do? Ah, Somebody shout it out. Yeah, it it distributes, it gives sparks. So there's electric current that comes in. Where's the current come from? Where's Where's electric get to the car? All right, there's a battery. Okay, the original source, of, it's just sitting there in the driveway. No life in it at all, nothing happening. But there's a battery, which has energy in it, okay? And that energy feeds the distributor. And then what does the distributor do? It goes tap, 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 and it sends spark. And it spend, sends spark to the spark plugs, and it fires things, okay? And that distributor is just firing like this. And that electric, that current, that power is igniting, 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 igniting. It's distributing the power. And then eventually, boom, power. That thing just came to life. Now it's ready to run. We're ready to go, okay? That's a distributor. What's the next slide? Uh, that, let's do another one. That's, that, there's, there's supposed to be one other one in there. Shh, <laughs> you didn't see that. <laughs> it is a manifold, that's true. Is the other one in there? All right, don't worry about it. It's another manifold, yeah. It doesn't matter, it's gone. So I had a picture of an exhaust manifold, okay? Uh, so we had a distributor, and then there's an exhaust manifold. Do you know what an exhaust manifold looks like? Anybody know what that looks like? There is coming off of the engine in the different parts of the engine block after off of each one of the cylinders, there is exhaust coming out like this, you know, many parts. And then it all comes into one. And that goes down to the tailpipe. And so initially all you have is a battery that fires spark and there's gas, you know, that helps you fuel the thing. But eventually, at the end, what you have is a tailpipe and there's exhaust coming out. Somewhere in the middle of that, it starts with one battery and it ends with one tailpipe. But in the middle of it, it spreads out into all these cylinders and then it comes all back together again and goes out the back. This is God's vision of the church. There's another picture of it. This is also a manifold here, a different kind of manifold. What kind of manifold is this? Anybody know? Yeah, that's water, hot and cold water. That's PEX tubing. Um, so there's water coming in, 
And then all those blue, to- blue hoses are going somewhere in someone's house for cold water, and all the red ones are hot water going to uh, people uh, somewhere in their home, you know, to their spigots. And that's all. So it's water coming in on one line, just like that battery going to the distributor, and then all the water is going out to the different areas of the house. When Jesus is talking about what the purpose of the church is, what the point of the church is, this is not our text for today. We're going to end with our text for today. So we'll get to our text at the very end, but we're going to be looking at other texts here. And so uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, this is awesome. This is, you want to hear the eternal purpose, God's eternal purpose for the church. It says in verse 9 of chapter 3 of Ephesians, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, anyone have it? The manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith, read imagination in him as well, our trust, our imagination, our trust. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is for your glory. So here it is. There is an eternal purpose for the church. Oftentimes, and we've talked about this regularly, for those of you, I, um, for those of you who have been here for a, a few years, I always preach on church vision. So you're like, every Sunday's Vision Sunday. You know, like that, because that's, that's kind of how I read it, how I see it. Well, when it comes to vision for the church, you've heard some of this before, but this word manifold is such an amazing picture of how God designed the church to work eternally. Not just in the current, in the present moment, but eternally. There's a big difference between an eternal purpose and a temporal purpose. When Jesus ascended into heaven, we were just reading about this last night with our kids. When Jesus ascends into heaven, uh, if you've ever uh, used the storybook Bible with kids, great little illustrations in there and a wonderful way of kind of phrasing things. And there's this picture of Jesus going up into heaven and you see from up there, the vantage point in the illustration is looking down from Jesus' vantage point and you see all these disciples around. And then as they're looking up, you see behind them, there's these two angels who are just kind of like in the crowd looking up with them. And then they say, what are you guys looking at? (laughs) And they're like, uh, you know, and they're like, yeah, he went up there, but that's, He told you to go. So go, what are you looking at? He'll come back, but go. And what Jesus had just told them was that they're to go to Jerusalem and they're to wait. And they're to wait in this upper room and then he's never going to leave them. He's never going to forsake them. He's going to come and give them the helper and he's going to fill them up and he's going to give them a job and that job's going to be awesome. They're supposed to start in Jerusalem and then to Judea and then Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And as they do that, they're to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey him, everything he had commanded. That is called the mission. That is a mission of the church. But it is not eternal. It is temporal. The mission of redemption started the day that Adam and Eve ate something that they shouldn't have eaten. God had this wonderful plan, an eternal plan for his people, that they were created to do something very special for him. 
And what was the job of people? Read right there. Read there, the, our middle sign on the wall. Let's read it together. See that, the smallest sign. We exist to reveal God's nature and to delight in his presence. The eternal purpose of God for his people. That we were called and created to enjoy God's presence and to reveal his nature. And what's his nature? What's his nature? At the center of his nature, there's this, the the Hebrews in the Old Testament, they understood one verse to be the primary leading verse of the entire Old Testament, and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with everything you got, with your heart and your soul and your strength. That was the verse. So God's nature The Lord your God, the Lord is, his nature is his oneness. And that was what was so shocking in that time when there was people who believed in many, many gods, but there was a God who was one. And what was amazing about that, of course, is in Genesis chapter 1, and this is the part we talk about all the time, is that that amazing thing that he does when he says, when it says, God said, let us make man in our image. Right? Plural. And so then God says, he created him in his image. He created them in his image. And then it says male and female, he created them. And the bizarre thing about creation and the bizarre thing about God's nature is that while God is three persons and is one, then in marriage there was male and female, but they were one. And as they loved one another, as the two left father and mother and and joined and become one flesh, There was a glorification of God that was supposed to happen in that moment. That when everyone and anything looked at Adam and Eve, they were like, now I get what God's like. That is God's imagination coming to life in his autobiography of himself. Now when that thing falls and breaks, God starts to roll out a redemptive process of restoring his image. And that image gets restored in these things called covenants. And those covenants happen because first there was that covenant with God and, and, and Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve in light of God together. That covenant was broken when they decided not to obey God and let him be God. And when they turned against each other and put on their fig leaves and said, it's his fault, it's her fault. And next thing you know, by the next generation, their kids kill one another. Because exactly what the enemy wanted was to come in and to break the covenant to break the covenant between people and God and to break the covenant between one another. And the enemy has no new tricks. He's doing the exact same thing today. He's trying to break our covenants with God and break our covenants with each other to get us divided. That's what he works to do. And he did, a really, uh, he did that very effectively in the garden. And then what God does is he begins the restoration process and he tells us, he says, there will be a serpent who will snip at your heel, but you will crush his head. And so he begins to restore by making these covenants. The first covenant, uh, we see the Noahic covenant where he's like, all right, I got to clean things. So Noah, get in a boat, listen to me, we're going to start over. Then there's the Abrahamic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant is when he's like, I'm going to make a people for myself. And he sets them apart and, he's, and he says, trust me and follow me. And then he makes, makes the Mosaic covenant where it grows into a whole nation. And he says, here's the rules of my nation. And we call that the law. And Mount Sinai, the great covenant. And then there's the Davidic covenant. 
where he says that I will be king over my people. I will place a king over my people who will honor me. And one day, he himself will come and will sit on that throne. And then Jesus comes. And here's the restoration process. This is where we get to the vision for the church, what the church is. Is Jesus comes, and it looks like when he comes back, here we go. Out of the root of Jesse, a new shoot comes up. A netzer comes up. And out of this moment, the the shoot comes up. And here we see Jesus is going to come, and he's going to reign, and he's going to take the kingdom of Israel, and they are going to conquer, and God's going to be back on his throne, and there's going to be this covenant, and it's going to be awesome. And then Jesus sits there in that upper room, And he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he takes the cup and he drinks it. And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And something shifts in the whole biblical narrative, the whole story. And what we realize in this moment is that Jesus is revealing to us our eternal purpose. He's restoring us to an eternal purpose. He's not just giving us a mission to go and tell other people about God being good. What he's doing is restoring us to the deep purpose of who we are, which is to reveal God's nature, which is what? What is his nature? Oneness. And so somehow what Jesus is doing at this table at the Last Supper is about to reveal to us what it means to be one again on a whole other level. And so here in Ephesians, it says that he's about to make known through the church the manifold wisdom of God. The word manifold means multifaceted, multiform, many different parts, all being one. That's what manifold actually means in the original text. Multiform, many different forms. In Adam and Eve, there were two forms. It was black and white. In the garden, it was there was two people who became one. In the new, in, the, in God's vision of the church, in Revelation, there is a vision for the future church. What is the future church? In, 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 if you get to the very end of the book of Revelation, something ascend, descends from heaven onto earth. Anybody know what that is? New Jerusalem. And he says, this is the church. So if you go all the way back here to the garden, there's two people who are hanging out in the garden, and we're like, Wait a minute, we went from a good place in the garden, you know, to now having to live in the city over here? How did that become better? Many of us like living out in the outdoors and in nature and all of that. This is why we like outdoors so much more than we like cities. Because we are fallen and broken and divided. And when we want to get away from people and away from culture and away from all of that, it is because of the pain that we experience on that level. Imagine a sinless, perfect culture where people never thought of themselves. They all together were thinking of God and thinking of one another. There is no place better than the culture of the kingdom of God bubbling over with love and oneness, the purity of the bride. This is what Jesus says. His vision is described to us in Ephesians chapter 5. It says that when he's hanging on the cross, what he's doing is he is working to present his bride to himself, holy and blameless without spot. You want to know what Jesus sees when he sees us? He sees a gorgeous, gorgeous bride. That's what Jesus sees. Something beautiful. He sees a culture of a city where it just works, everything works, and it's bubbling over that Jesus is on the throne and everything's working, and there's this person with this spiritual gift and this person with this perspective and a person of this race over here, and somehow it all just works together. That is God's vision of the church. 
That is his vision, is that we are the multi-form that starts with the spark of the Holy Spirit distributing his gifts among men. And it says in Ephesians 4 that each one is given grace according to that which he apportioned. So when the, when the spark plug is going, the distributor is going, or when this manifold is there, and it's go, each one of us is getting a piece of the puzzle. Each one of us gets a portion of who God is. But then as it comes back together on the, on the manifold, it all comes into one. This portion of Jesus and this portion of Jesus, this portion of his spirit, this portion of his heart, this portion of his wisdom joins back together in what we call a city, the new Jerusalem, coming back together. And we begin to portray that amazing beauty that God has for us. And that's the culture of the kingdom of God. That's his picture. That's his vision for the church. Now, of course, the difficulty in that is that we know that we are fallen people. And there's, that's the rest of the story of what God's redemption does. Now, I need to, that was the 10,000-foot view of uh, God's vision for the church. But we need to bring that down for Parker Ford Church, okay? Because in the same way that each of us are individual members of the body, Parker Ford Church is one congregation in the broader body of Christ. And so what is, the, what is God's vision for us here at Parker Ford, in relation to all of that, you know? We can say, all right, we believe in that. We believe that you see us as a beautiful bride, that you want us to be like where Adam and Eve were to show the oneness, that we together are to show the oneness of God in all of its amazing form. But then specifically for us, what does that mean right now? So we're going to go from like 10,000 foot where everything looks about this big, and we're going to come down to like 500 feet. Okay, and imagine you're like up on a fire tower or something and you're looking down at Parker Ford Church and it's still not just seeing me and my life and we're still not seeing this way. We're still looking down, but we're saying, God, what do you see right here for Parker Ford? Um, over the years, as we've prayed, and those of you who have been here for a while have heard me talk about these two things. There's been two things that ha- have consistently been in my mind when I've prayed for Parker Ford. And I, they have been a thing that have resonated with many of us over the years. And firstly, that as we pray, as I've prayed, I've had this picture of um, up on the roof of our church, there's a little pergola, steeple, cupola, you name it, whatever it is. And um, the picture is in prayer, sitting there praying. And the imagination is this, is that there is just warm glow coming out of there, warm glow and out of the out of the side, the windows and the side, just a warm glow coming out. And that people who are walking in the darkness of our world and in the blindness of our world see a light. They see a light. And they begin to move toward that light. I want to read our text for today for you. And it's in Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16. Let's stand in honor of God's word. Let's read this together. You are the light of the world. A city on a a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five fourteen to 16. Uh, leave that up for a second and stand with me for a second. Um, stay standing. I, 
I want to challenge us this year, vision for Parker Ford Church, I want to challenge us, this is three verses. I'd like us, each one of us in this room to memorize these three verses this year. And when we think in terms of what, what's God's desire for us at Parker Ford Church this year, that we would pray about this possibly being that for us. And so when we, uh, in our home, when we go to memorize scripture together, we repeat it together consistently. It really helps to just repeat it out loud. So we're going to do it one more time together. We're going to read this, okay? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five fourteen to 16 Thanks. You can have a seat. So the first picture is the picture of the lamp. Why don't you, um, we have a picture sort of of a lamp coming. So uh, there's a picture of the lamp. And this is the picture that when we, are, when we live in a world of darkness and we live in a world that doesn't have clarity, it says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That we together are a city on a hill, a light in darkness. And that when people come to Parker Ford Church, when we come to Parker Ford Church, and when others come to Parker Ford Church, there is without a doubt a deep desire inside of God's heart and a vision from God that this would be a place where people sense and experience the presence of God and where they are guided by his word together. And light, light starts to come into their mind. Hmm. So that's what it's supposed to be like. And here, when we're experiencing God's presence together, okay, this is what, this begins to make sense of my life. Um, C.S. Lewis has this great quote, and it says, um, of course, the presence of God is not the same as a sense of the presence of God. Two different things, presence of God and a sense of the presence of God. The latter, that is the sense of the presence of God, is due to imagination, We can sense God's presence if we have imagination for it. The former may be attended with no sensible consolation. Which means I can assent to the fact that God's here, but there's no consolation in that for me necessarily. But if I have the imagination to continue to engage the fact that God's here, then I get more of a sense of God's imagination. And there's times where it's really difficult to sense God's presence. Even when I'm pressing in hard, it's hard to sense it. But the call of faith is to continue to believe and to continue to imagine and to continue to press into the fact that God is here and God is present. And when we nurture that presence together, there is a flow of the body where we are attending to God. Josh Bitework, one of the things that he said all the time in Pottstown. You know, he'd always roam the streets of Pottstown, praying Pottstown, praying with different people all over the borough of Pottstown. And one of the things that I love to hear him say, um, I, it grieved me to hear him say it, but it was such an accurate statement. So I love the reality check. As he'd say, we think about the impoverished people of Pottstown and how they are neglected. We think about racial diversity and how there's neglect and abandonment. We think about children and how they're neglected. He said, but none of those people are the most neglected people in Pottstown. By far, the most neglected person in Pottstown is God. Because those of us who are Christians often do not give our attention primarily to God. 
that we still work to do this and work to do that, but we're not attending to God. We're not like, there's that, there's that psalm that says, like, a servant who's watching the hand of their master to see what it is that he will do. This is how we attend to God. That we're just watching, praying, waiting. Waiting for God. The lamp is a place where we attend to God. Fires need to be tended, you know? And the presence of God, we actually need to tend the presence of God. God is everywhere, and we don't, we don't get to change that. But we do get to determine whether or not we will be very attentive to that presence and will nurture the sense of that presence among us. And that is our call as a church, first and foremost, is to attend to God. And as that happens, faith sweeps across a community. And anticipation sweeps across a community. And love sweeps across a community. And pretty soon we take on the characteristics of God. So we not only reveal the nature of God, but we begin to reveal the character of God, which is his love. And we start to fall in love with the Lord. And when people come into this place and that whole thing of when kids are imagining and you're looking at them like, what are you seeing? It should be that when people walk in this room and into this place, that there should be a gigantic unseen elephant in the room. And that everyone's like, what is not, what, what's going on here that I'm not seeing? Because those who have imagination are seeing and sensing the presence of God all over us and all through us. And we are just living in another reality of the fact that God is here and God is in you and in me and among us and with us. And we are very, very attentive to that presence. That is contagious. But that happens one by one, person by person. It doesn't just happen by uh, leaders desiring it or by the right programs. It happens by us as people seeking the presence of God. And it happens primarily in prayer. And prayer in Colossians 4.2, we are given one time, and you've heard me say this, one time in all the New Testament, we are given a command to devote ourselves to something. And it is devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And that our call as a church, Jesus said it when he came into the temple and he tossed all the tables all over the place. And he said, my house is going to be called a house of prayer. And in 1 Peter, when we're told what we are, we are living stones being built into that spiritual house that contains the fullness of the glory of God. And as we come together in prayer, that is us attending to God, depending on God, seeking God, imagining God. And in the process of that, we become a people of prayer. And where people are praying, we grow in our sense of God's presence. And that is an extremely helpful thing to people who don't have hope. So we are called to be a lamp. The imagination continued to go so, uh, in the prayer. And, and you've heard this one too. And as, we, as I continued to pray about uh, people being drawn out of darkness, kind of crawling in. Then they come around the warmth and the glow of the fire of God's presence. And then from there, as people start to leave, I saw these like little things flying out of the windows and flying out of the door and flying out of the cupola. And it was fireflies going all over the place. And that was us having experienced the presence of God together 
and having encouraged one another in prayer and in the word, taking the presence of God into our own realms of influence, to our workplace, to our neighborhoods, to our families. I had conversations at Fall Fest yesterday with a few people, and there's a common thread in those conversations. We were having conversations about what it means to bring the light of Christ to my family, to my neighborhood, and to my workplace. Amen, amen, and amen. That is God's vision for us. That is God's vision for us, that we come together and experience the presence of God, encourage one another in the presence of God, and then we go and take the presence of God with us. That is the distribution. It's us all coming together, experiencing God, then the distribution again. The manifold wisdom of God is being revealed when many parts come together in one and when those one go out as many. And that is, again, the the manifold wisdom of God being revealed through the church. So um, there are two things that I want to encourage us with in this. First of all, when it comes to being the lamp, um, prayer. Starting this Tuesday, um, this is last minute, uh, last minute announcement that's happening here. And it's an extremely important announcement. But it, uh, it doesn't matter that it's last minute because we're, uh, we're on the marathon here, not on the, this isn't a sprint. Our, the elders have decided to begin a prayer meeting to begin a Tuesday night prayer meeting. Um, and that, that is just to invite the church to seek God together on behalf of this church and on behalf of the land that we live in. Um, this isn't necessarily just a prayer meeting to pray for whatever. I mean, who knows where the Lord will take it. But it is specifically for us as a church to seek the Lord. And um, I believe so much in what it is that God's uh, wanting to build through this prayer meeting. Um, I... I called Mike um, a few weeks ago and said, Mike, man, every time I pray for us, I just keep thinking that we need to have a prayer meeting where the elders are leading us into a time of prayer. Mike's like, I'm already on it. That was already on my heart. And we're already going that way. And I was like, wow, that is awesome. Massive confirmation. And uh, the Lord has consistently brought this up that what we do as a congregation is pray. That's who we are, a people of prayer, royal priesthood. And that whatever else we do in the church, it's got to start with us seeking the Lord. And so on Tuesday nights, we're going to start having this prayer meeting. And we don't have any end date in mind for this thing at all. It's just indefinitely we're going to start praying. That's a weekly prayer meeting. And I want to encourage you that there is nothing else in this entire church life that we do that I think is more important for us than coming together and pray. So hear me in this. Hear me in this. If you have to miss Sunday morning in order to come pray on Tuesday night, do it. I am dead serious. If there are less butts in the seat on Sunday, but there are more people on their knees on Tuesday, I'm all about it. I'm all about it. And we are not interested in growing attendance in a worship service. We are interested in attending to God's presence. And that happens when we as a body join in prayer. And I was raised in this church and I remember many times sitting in the old uh, sanctuary of that old church and just sitting there and seeing people pray. And we had 24-7 prayer vigils and people pray. And God did awesome stuff when we would just pray. Tiny little country church. And we saw people healed from cancer. And we saw God do awesome things with winning people to Christ. And we've seen it consistently since then that when we pray, God does great stuff. Go figure. It's his vision for the church. And that's his call. And when we pray, we will be lit 
up with the presence of God and we will naturally be a firefly army. It won't, be, uh, it won't have to be being super creative and super intentional trying to figure out a way to... It's just we exude the presence of God. I got one more quote from you from Charles Spurgeon. This is an incredible quote. Listen to this. This is a paragraph, not a, not a line, so you got to listen to it. The love which early Christians felt toward the Lord was not a quiet emotion which they hid within themselves in the secret chamber of their souls and which they only spake of, I love the word spake, they only spake of when they met on the first day of the week and sang hymns in honor of Christ Jesus the crucified. But it was a passion with them of such a vehement and all-consuming energy that it was visible in their actions, spoke in their common talk, and looked out of their eyes even in their commonest glances. Love to Jesus was a flame which fed upon the core and the heart of their being and therefore from its own force burned its way into the outer man and shone there. That's a picture of the early church. And it's the same vision that God has for his church today. It's a beautiful vision. We attend to God and he fills us up and we engage our world. Manifold in, manifold out. We are one in Christ because we are restored to Christ because of the broken body of Christ that binds us together. It's an awesome, beautiful picture. It's a picture that goes up, it's a picture that comes in, and it's a picture that goes out. A people truly following Christ. That is our call. That is our call. So we'll end with this. That's our scripture today. We're going to say it again, okay? Let's say it again. Uh, Let's pull up Matthew 5, 14 to 16, please. All right, let's stand up and say it together. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5. 14 to 16. Awesome. Now, as we go into prayer together right now, and as we look forward to Tuesday and ongoing, if you can't make it Tuesday, it's the last minute. No worries at all. No worries at all. This is the marathon, okay? This is what we do. If you can't make it this Tuesday, doesn't bother me a bit, but make it. You know, I, for myself, we were, I was hoping to do it on Wednesdays. Tuesdays, I coach my kids' soccer practice. i got to wait until I'm done coaching that to get here because that's when it worked for everyone else, okay? When you can get here, get here. This is what we do as a church now. This is what we do is we pray. It's what we've always done. It's who we are. We pray. Did you ask what time? Somebody asked what time? Is it 6.30? Thank you. It's in the bulletin. <laughs> um, so uh, 6.30, 6.30. And um, at each time, it'll be different. Different elders going to lead it at different times, and so it'll be different. And we're just coming together and seeking the face of the Lord together. And that's a great time for us to connect as a body, too, in prayer. 615, thank you. Staying corrected.
Also, um, as we get, uh, close out and as we go into prayer, I just also want to thank the Morbys. They threw Fall Fest yesterday. Did they do an awesome job or what? Yeah, that was really cool. What's that? awesome. It's good to be a church body. It's good to be a church body. Let's pray. How is it, God, that you get to be, that we get to be connected to the head? How is it that at the, at the, (laughs) when we're all joined and held together by every supporting ligament and we're growing and building each other up in love until we reach up to the head, which is Christ? How is it that us, the broken, messed up people that we are, that at the end of it all, that at the top of the whole thing, that, the, that what's leading us and what's guiding us, Jesus, 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 how have you graced us with the ability for us to be connected with you and connected with each other? Thank you for the work of restoration that you're doing, for reforming us, for restoring us, for renewing us, for giving us a covenant that actually works for us, where we don't have to be good. We can just be honest, you know? And God, we thank you. Please continue to help us be honest with you and with one another. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your love. We thank you for your love. Say it with me. We thank you for your love. One more time. We thank you for your love. You are awesome, God, in the name of Jesus. We've got to close with this chorus. The benediction is this chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus.